Father, we thank you. You've been good to us. We thank you for your blessings and your grace and your mercy each day. The bountiful blessings that you bestow upon us. And Lord, we're here to worship you and to love you. And we're here to hear your word that you would speak to your church, to your children, your sons and your daughters. We thank you for the gift that you give us of eternal life. And I pray this morning, Lord God, that the anointing of God would come upon the preacher. That your heart would speak through my lips, Lord, to your church. A very important message, O oh God. And we just give you the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, when your mama comes looking for you. Now this would seem like a Mother's Day message. I know it's not Mother's Day. But this is a Mother's Everyday message. Do you see the difference? Every day, this is pertinent to moms. And of course to dads. But the reason I've chosen moms is because in Luke chapter 24, it was the women that came to the tomb to minister to the body of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 1, it reads this. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. We'll learn later on in this chapter that it was the women who came to the tomb. I want to cite two references, Proverbs 31.15 in the King James Version. It says this, She, means a woman, riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and portion to her maidens. In Proverbs 31.15, the same verse in the Message Version, it says this, She's up before dawn, preparing breakfast for her family, and organizing her day. Why were the women coming to the tomb where Jesus was laid? They prepared spices, thinking they were going to prepare the dead body of Jesus. Jesus had already been anointed. Mary, the woman with the alabaster box, the spankyard, perfumed the body of Jesus. But they were coming because they cared about their Lord. The body begins to decay. The body begins to stink when death takes place. A dead body begins to smell as a stench as it sets in. The women came to cover the smell. They came to cover the decay. They came to cover the stink. They came to cover the stench. They came with love and compassion. That's what mamas do. I said, that's what mamas do. That's what women do. They come to soothe and they come to smooth the wrinkles in other people's lives. They come to love and they come to comfort those who are in need. However, there's someone even greater than a mama. Hallelujah. And his name is Jesus. And he comes not just to cover the stench in our life. He comes not to cover just the decay and the smell in our life. 
But he comes, praise God, to take away the stain of sin. He comes to take away the the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. He comes to take care of us and give us that forgiveness. His shed blood, praise God, paid the price for our sins that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. They came to the tomb. And the Bible says in Luke 24 and verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. The word found in Greek means to come upon something after searching. It means to find by inquiry, thought, examination, scrutiny, observation, to discover. Why did they come? Why were they there? What were they trying to find? They knew that Jesus was crucified. They knew that he died on the cross. They watched it. They saw the agony. They saw the torture. They saw the pain. And it was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arithemia. And a large stone was rolled in front of that tomb. But yet they came early in the morning on the first day of the week to find, to find what? A dead body? To find what? What were they looking for? They were looking to soothe. They were looking to cover. And the Bible says that the stone was rolled away. But before I get there for a moment, the Bible says, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And that spoke to my heart because there's surprises in life. There's mysteries in life. Because they knew that the stone was placed in front of the tomb. And when they came, There was no stone in front of the tomb. And I equate that with the mysteries of life. I equate that with the things that we try to find answers for that we really don't have an answer for. There's questions. Paul the Apostle said that we look through a glass darkly. People come to me and they ask me. I had a young man come to me just the other day. He found his mother when he was 10 years old with a heroin needle in her arm and she died. His sister died in his own arms. His first fiance died. He fell in love with a woman who discovered that she had cancer. And on her deathbed, he married her because he loved her and she died. And he came to my office and he said, Ref, try to explain God to me. Try to explain God's love to me. Try to explain why my mother died and my sister died and my fiancé died and my wife died. Explain that to me. And I looked at him squarely in the eyes and I said, Son, I don't have an answer. I don't know the mysteries of God. I know some verses in the Bible that says in Ecclesiastes that God will call some people home prematurely so that they don't have to face the evil that's going to come upon the face of the earth. But that's the only comfort I can give you. And this is the other comfort that I can give you. That God is a just God. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. That's all I can tell you. But He's a God of love and it's never His fault. Come on. He came to church the week before and he told his counselor that I felt like the minister was speaking to my heart. And then that week he came to my office And I said, son, I wish I could give you a pill to help you forget all of this pain that you've experienced at a young age. But I don't have that. 
The only thing that I do have is Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the love of God. And I know one thing, son. It's never God's fault. It's the devil that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's the enemy that comes to try to take away our life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. And I wondered if he'd be in church yesterday morning. He not only was in church yesterday morning, but he sang in the choir. And he sang with such zeal and such exuberance. And I said, thank you, Lord, that you're getting through to a young man that has experienced so much sorrow. That's caused him to go into that drug world and that drug culture to try to drown out the pain that he's experienced. The Bible says they found the stone rolled away. Let me talk talk to you about the stone for a moment. Commentators say in Palestine, the graves were usually in a depression. It was down in a hill somewhere. And the stone was rolled down and inclined to cover the mouth of the tomb. For a small grave, a small grave, about 20 men were required to roll a stone down the hill to cover the door of the tomb in a small grave. This was the borrowed grave of Joseph of Arathamia. And I say borrowed because it wasn't a grave that was bought for Jesus. He just borrowed it for three days and three nights. Come on, my friends. I said he just borrowed it for three days and three nights. And as you've heard this pastor say many times, there's no DNA left in that tomb that belongs to Jesus. Hallelujah. You can go into the tomb of religious men that have lived this this world, and you'll find their DNA. But I tell you, if you sweep the DNA in the tomb that Jesus, praise God, was placed in, you'll not find an iota of DNA because he took it back to his father, and he sits at the right hand of God this morning. The Bible tells us that the stone that covered This tomb was a large stone. The woman would have needed more than a full Roman guard of 16 men to roll the stone away. This was a major task. But when they came, that large stone was already removed from the entrance of the tomb. Mystery. Surprises. Don't be upset with surprises in life. Don't be upset with the mysteries of life. Don't be upset. When a curve seems to come your way because God is still in control whether the road is straight or the road is curved or the road is crooked, God is still in control. How did this happen? Who did this? Who came to minister to the body of Jesus? Why was this stone rolled away? He's missing. And we do not know where he is. He's missing. He's a missing person. We do not know where he is. It's just like a mama concerned for her child asking, where did he go? Or where did she go? I can't find them. And I'm worried. Mama says, I'm worried I'll never see my son again. I'm worried I'll never see my daughter again. There's a certain anxiety, my friend, and a certain panic that comes to a mama's life. It's a certain kind of terror when that child slips away by God from the house or from their heart. There's a certain terror that invades the life of a mama that says, where is my son? And where is my daughter? Come on. Children are leaving home in the city. The homeless covenant house tries to gather as many as they can down in the city to give them at least temporary shelter until they go somewhere else and continue running their life. 
mothers desire to minister to their children. But sometimes those very same children slip out from their house or slip away from a mother's heart. I want to read something to you that concerns me very much. I want to read to you from the USA Today for a few moments, the Thursday edition of March 20th in 2018. Young minds may be more inclined to respond irreversibly to anguish. J.C. Ruff, 16 years old, was a Cincinnati area pitcher who died by suicide in the laundry room of his house. Taylor Schmidt, 17, was an avid pilot and hiker who chose the family garage in upstate New York. Josh Anderson, 17 years old of Vienna, Virginia, was a football player who killed himself the day before a school disciplinary hearing. The young men were as different as the areas of the country where they lived, but they shared one thing, a despair so deep that they thought suicide was the only way out. A study of pediatric hospitals released last May found admissions of patients ages 5 to 17 for suicidal thoughts and actions more than doubled from 2008 to 2015. The group at highest risk for suicide were white males ages 14 to 21. Experts and teens cite myriad reasons, numerous reasons, including spotty mental health screening, poor access to mental health services, and resistance among young men and people of color to admit they have a problem and seek care. There's a host of societal factors, including opioid-addicted parents, opioid-addicted parents, a polarized political environment and poverty that persists in many areas despite a near-record low unemployment rate. With this population, it's difficult. It's the perfect storm for life to be extra difficult, says Lauren Anderson, executive director of the Josh Anderson Foundation in Vienna, Virginia, named after her 17-year-old brother who killed himself in 2009. Based on the development of the brain, they are more inclined to risky behavior to decide in that moment. What are you saying? End of quote. Here's a man by the name of Carmen Garner. Has a band-aid tattoo to remind him he no longer wants to kill himself. He says adults can contribute to children's pain. Teen suicide is soaring. Black youth had the highest rate increase. The increase was 70% among white Caucasian males. The increase was 77% among African American males. Why do you read that, Pastor? Why? Because it's an epidemic. Just the other day, I believe it came out that children 5 to 14, the escalation of depression and mental health and emotional problems in children from 5 to 14 years old has escalated higher than it's ever been before in our country. There's something happening, my friend. There's something happening. There's an alienation. There's a breakdown in generations. There's a breakdown in communication. There's a breakdown in people expressing their feelings. Mamas are looking for their children. The Bible says in verse 3 of Luke 24, and they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. He's not there. Come on, hallelujah. They didn't find it. You see, Jesus told them, destroy this temple in three days and it will rise up again. And they said, how can the temple in Jerusalem be destroyed in three days and rebuilt? 
You see, we read the Bible and we understand it better because we're reading what already happened. But they were experiencing it. They didn't understand when Jesus said, I must die. They didn't understand that the Son of Man must be crucified. He was their leader, their king, their hope. For three and a half years, they saw him do great miracles and all kinds of things to relieve oppression in society. And then they watched their leader hang on a cross, a torturous death, and die right in front of their eyes. And they walked away from the cross thinking, it's over, it's done, there's no more hope, there's no more help. Come on. Come on. But something got in them at early morning. And the curiosity came upon them and said, we got to go down to the tomb at least to put the mirror and the frankincense and the perfume because by this time the body stinketh. You see, when they entered in, they went looking and with fear and anxiety they entered into the tomb. That had to be a fearful experience. They had to wonder, what happened to the stone? And they entered in very daintily, very cautiously, like a mother searching for a child based on a lead, hoping to find that child in whatever tomb or whatever cave he or she may be in. You hear me? Mama's looking for you. I said, Mama's looking for you. You can close down. You can ignore the preacher. You can ignore the word of God. But I want to tell you something. Mama is always looking for you. It's mothers every day, not just Mother's Day in May. Mothers every day are looking for their sons, looking for their daughters, and looking for their children. Because it's that mother that gave birth. It's that mother that went through labor. It's that mother that was in that maternity room. It was that mother that came through affliction and pain and saw the joy of a child, praise God, placed in her arms. And my God, when they're young, they step on your feet. But when they get older, they step on your heart. Come on, Come on, help me to preach this morning, would you? Searching. They found not the body of Jesus. And they came up empty. (laughs) When a child slips out of this window, and I've known children, even in this church, in years past, that have slipped out of their window. (laughs) Unknown to their parents. (laughs) but known to me as a pastor. When a child slips out of that window, hopes get dashed, anticipation gets squashed, and a missing person is not accounted for. It's a terrible thing when someone goes missing. Come on. Physically. But it's also a terrible thing when a child goes missing from your heart. You see, you can live in the same house. You can eat at the same table. And you can sleep in your room. But you're missing in action. I said you're missing in action. When they don't find what they're looking for, when a mama goes into a child's room and doesn't Find the child. 
the mother gets disappointed. Let me tell you something. You can't mess with a woman. You can't mess with her feelings. I said, because they know, they know, and they know. Women have a sixth sense that men don't have. They just know when something's wrong. They know when their husband isn't doing right. They know when their child is not on the right path. They know when their daughter is going astray. They just know that they know that they know. They might not have the fact. They might not have the black and white down on a piece of paper. But emotionally, mama says something's not right. Amen. Something's not right. Something's not kosher, as the Jewish people say. And they start to worry. And they start to get anxious. Because the stone has been rolled away from the tomb of their bedroom. And nobody's home. I said, nobody's home. There's no light on. There's no communication. Because like the article about teen suicide, people don't express how they're feeling. And they don't express their anxiety and their pain. The Bible said in verse 4, and it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture women coming to a tomb to minister to the body of Jesus. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. And as they look, they say two men, what does it say, stood by them in shining garments. Now you read that and say, oh, two angels. That's good. That's nice. But go back over 2,000 years ago. Go back to the women who are in perplexity, who are confused, who don't understand what's going on. And the tomb is empty and there's two men, praise the Lord, that are there. Who are you? What are you doing here? What happened to the body of Jesus? Can anyone explain to me what's going on? They had to be startled to see two men in shining garments. It's like an angel if he came to your house in the middle of the night and stood before your bed. I'm pretty sure you would look up and say, wow. I'm sure you'd probably grab your phone and call 911. Who are these men? And what are they doing here? Am I in danger? Because I'm on a mission to find a missing person? That's what I would have said if I was those women. Am I in danger? I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've done. I don't even know how you rolled the stone away. Am I in danger right now? Is a mama in danger when she goes looking for a child? Is a mama in danger when she starts to knock on doors and look for friends of her son that she probably doesn't even know who they are because they've been held mysterious from mama's heart? People, places, and things the Bible says they were afraid. You know what that word means in Greek? They were thrown into fear. It means they were frightened and terrified. They started to tremble. 
The word afraid means to dread. It means terror that strikes the heart. You can't do that to a mama. You can't do that to a woman. You can't do that to a lady. And then the Bible says, and they bowed down their faces to the earth. I looked up that word bowed down in the Greek. And it means to cause to fall back. What? This is terror. This is a heart that all of a sudden has felt the dread and the terror and anxiety and the panic of two men standing there. A body is missing. The stone is rolled away. The word of bow down means to cause to fall back. It means in a place for repose. That's death. It means they fainted. They fell backwards. They fell out of the spirit. They fell out of fright and fear and anxiety. Man, what a scene that must have been. For a bunch of women to be bowed down to the earth and all of a sudden go backwards from the fright. That's exactly what children do to the hearts of their mother. They frighten them. They cause that mother to faint in the heart emotionally. It's a death. It's a terror. It's a dread. It's a wonder. What's happening? Is he okay? Who's he hanging with? What's he doing behind my back? What's he doing in school? What's he doing out there? Who are the people, places, and things that he's attached to that could destroy that life? Who will come to my home? Two shining men in garments with a badge on their, on their chest saying, I've got bad news for you, madam. I've got bad news for your mama. I've got bad news for your mother. Your son was found dead in a ditch somewhere with a needle in his arm. I've dealt with those folks for 20 years of my life in the prison system. I've looked into the faces of drug addiction. I've looked into the faces of prostitution. I've looked into the faces of alcoholism. I've looked into the faces of those who have the virus and have AIDS. I've looked into the faces of those that have STDs. I've looked into the faces of men and women who dread life, who fear the future, who fear graduating from our three-month program because 177 people a day are dying of drug overdose in our country. Oh, yes, my friend. They're afraid to leave. They even sabotage their stay sometimes. Many are now asking for inpatient because they're afraid to die on the street. You see, their friends have died in their arms. Their mothers, opiate addicted, have died in their homes. The grandmothers that raised many have now gone on to pass on, to be with the Lord, and there's no direction, there's no maternal instinct. Mamas are gone. But those that remain are desperate for help. I talked to those mamas who became drug addicted themselves, who did things that were beyond their dignity, 
to put food on the table for their children. Losing, loss of self-respect. Loss of dignity. To do whatever they could do even as a drug addict. To care for their child. They bowed over. And the Bible says, these two men said, why seek ye the living among the dead? Come on. Let me stop you for a moment. The word seek means to crave and demand. Why do children seek life among the dead? Why are they so drawn to darkness? Why do they desire to live in a tomb? Why do they desire to live in a cave that's dark with despair? That's dark with disappointment. Why? Why are our children seeking life among the dead? Why are they seeking life among the drug users? Why are they seeking life among immorality? Why are they seeking this death as they march toward a tomb that has a name on it? And it's called death. Why? Like a mother or a woman, our behavior sometimes their behavior sometimes causes us to bow down our faces to the earth. You see, when a mama goes looking for a child, she says, I'm afraid you're going to die. I'm afraid you're living among the dead. I'm afraid I'm not getting through to your son. And bowing their faces to the earth describes their despair and their disappointment. And when they can't find you, What you do is you escalate their worry and you escalate their concern and you stress them out beyond measure. Oh, I know young people today think mama's a nag. Mama's always preaching to me. Mama's always trying to give me a sermon. It was your mama that gave birth to you. I said it was your mama that was in pain for you. It was your mama that breastfed you. It was your mama that fixed your diaper. It was your mama that fed you. It was your mama that taught you, to, taught you how to read and took you to school. It was your mama that got up in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, when you were crying in your bed with 104 fever and took care of you and took you to the emergency room. It was your mama. So why shouldn't a mama be concerned today? Why shouldn't a mama be concerned when you're a certain day? Why shouldn't a mama love and care today just like they did when you were born? Why? You tell me why. You can shut down your mama. You can shut her out. And you can go to the tomb and be among your friends and you can stick a needle in your arm not knowing if fentanyl holds in it. And your heart will burst. And there'll be one more funeral. One more coffin. And one more burial. 177 a day, my friend, are dying of drug overdose in America. Who are they? Who are these people that are dying? You tell me, who are they? I'll tell you who they are. 
their sons and their daughters that were born from the loins of their mama. You talk about heartache. You're talking about a grandma who stands by a coffin and rocks that coffin and cries out and says, why is Sonny my 15-year-old grandson? Why is he in the coffin? Why is he in the coffin? I'll tell you why. Go ask the drug dealer over there. I'll tell you why. Go ask the one that's dispensing drugs. Go ask the one that's selling the drugs. Go ask Knucklehead over there. Come on. And I agree 100% with our President of the United States. Drug dealers deserve the death penalty. Amen. Because they're killing people every day. For filthy lucre. For money. Not even giving people what they're purchasing. Not even giving people their so-called money's worth. But they stretch it. With rat poison. Sometimes to take out a line who's talking too much, that they'll be exposed with fentanyl. Bang! The heart just goes bang! Oh, but young people today say, I don't care. I'm looking for excitement. I don't care what my mama says. I don't care what my daddy says. I don't care what that bullheaded old man preacher says. I don't care what he says. You better care. Because some of your friends have already died. Some of your friends have already been in a coffin. And some of your friends have already been taken six feet under into the ground. And they're pushing daisies now. And like I say to my clients in the prison system, I say some of you sit under the sound of my voice every week. And you're saying to yourself, that will never happen to me. But yet, one of my clients went home on April 17th. And two days later, at 29 years old, died of a drug overdose. And he sat in my church that I passed. And I had to deal with his close friend that was still on that unit who was brokenhearted. That his friend died of a drug overdose. This is real, my friend. This is not a joke. It's not a joke. You can't run away from this. You can drown your ears. You can put plugs in them. You can say, hey, I don't want to hear it. I'll tell you something. You've already heard it. Hallelujah. He is not here, verse 6, Luke 24, but is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. What's going on here? Jesus had already told them many things and some of those things were hard sayings. You listen. These are the last days. And unless the preachers get up behind the pulpits and start to blow the trumpet in Zion, you see, I can be really okay, you're okay. We can sing and preach for 10 minutes and have a latte and talk about the snow this morning. We could do that. But I'm not going to be that kind of a preacher. I never have been and never will be by the grace of God. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. There's too many people dying. It's time to give the warning. It's time to go up to the tower, praise God to the watchtower, and say, my God, something's happening in Zion. Something's happening in our country. There's a darkness and a cloud that's overtaking us. Sir, come on. 
can't be a mamby-pamby preacher. And I'm so sick and tired of those that compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ for filthy lucre and a good living and a nice home. There'll be a judgment day. And I don't want to hear my name called on judgment day to say, to hear, you didn't preach to me the truth. You didn't tell me what the word of God said. No. He's speaking today. And his hard sayings are going to separate the weak from the strong. You see, he is risen in our life and desires that his resurrection power work through us for the advancing of his kingdom. You listen. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Come on. Too many Christians have forgotten the resurrection power of Christ. They come to church on Easter Sunday and they proclaim that they know Jesus. And they celebrate and they go out for dinner. Not to see them until December when Christmas comes. And then see them at Easter time once again. And shake their hand while their sons and their daughters are living in a tomb or in a cave of despair. The Bible says the angel said he's not here. He's taken on a different form. He's in the resurrection now. He's not that beaten body marred beyond recognition. He's not coming back as a baby to be born again. He's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's not coming back as some emaciated Savior. No. He's coming back to be the leader of the army. He's coming back. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the bread of life that's come down from heaven. He's the light of the world. And people aren't looking for him. You see, they're going down to the tombs. 42nd Street, the crack houses, the heroin dens, businessmen, Wall Streeters, line up in certain places in New York City on Friday afternoon to pay for their fix for the weekend, to pay for their drugs, to get them through the weekend. And they line up with their attache cases and their three-piece suits in their silk ties, in their alligator shoes, in their slick hairdos, hooked, drug-infested, addicted to heroin and crack and cocaine, marijuana. States want to legalize marijuana. Listen, I'm an old-fashioned drug counselor. I want to tell you the gateway to other drugs is smoking dope marijuana. Don't tell me nothing different. Ask a drug counselor that's been in the business all their life. They'll tell you the same thing I'm telling you. And I'm just a chaplain. It's a gateway. It's a gateway. It leads to other things. It's a higher fix. It's a bigger fix. It's a more of an excitement to go on to something better. 
When those angels said he's not here, the Bible says in verse 8, and they remembered his words. Whose words? Jesus' words. That he would rise from the dead, born of a virgin, died on the cross and rose again on the third day. All of a sudden, a connection was made. I remember him saying that. I remember three days this temple will be destroyed and three days it will be built back up. The Bible says the word remember in Greek means to remind, to, re, to come to recollection, to recall. And to have things remain in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit. <laughs> come on. What did your mama tell you when you were young? You hear me? Come on. Don't you remember? Don't you remember when she used to sing? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Amen. I sang that song to all of my grandchildren and my children as they sat on my lap as youngsters. I've told all of my children and all of my grandchildren that have sat on my lap as a dad that you are a gift from God and you're special. They might have not understood those words when they were babies. They might have not understood those words because they couldn't speak words yet. But I spoke into their spirit. I spoke life in their spirit. I spoke future into their spirit. I spoke enthusiasm into their spirit. I spoke zeal into their spirit. I spoke the work ethic into their spirit. I spoke Jesus into their spirit. Yes. Remember what your mama told. Don't go near strangers. Don't go near strangers. Remember what your mama told you. Stay in school, son. Stay in school. Get an education. Remember what your mama said. Stay in church, son. Listen to the preacher. Listen to the man of God. Stay in church, son. Just coming home from work yesterday. Epidemic in America. As soon as youngsters leave high school, son, they no longer darken the door of the church, the majority of them. Oh, they're all grown up now. I said they're all grown up now. They know about life now. A six-pack in Mary Lou in the backseat of a car of a Chevy. I got it going, mama. I don't need to listen to what mama's saying no more. I don't need to listen to what mama's saying no more. I don't care about people, places, and things. I got to go explore. My friends are having fun. Their mamas don't care. Their daddies don't care. They don't even go to church. No, they don't care. And tell me three or four or five years from now, give me a report of where those people are. You tell me. You see, I have an idea of where they may be. The Bible says... And they returned from the sepulchre 
and told all these things unto the eleven. Hmm? And to all the rest. What's that saying? You see, the women finally got the revelation. They finally understood what Jesus was saying had actually come to pass. He's not in the tomb. He rose again. Come on. And now they're so excited that they want to return to the others and tell them the good news. But let's go back to mama. You see, when they can't find you, when they don't know where you are, you know what mamas do? They return to your friends. They try to find out who these people are. Because they're not really your friends. Because if they're dealing drugs and they're smoking dope and they're laying around and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing in school, you think they're your friends. Listen, I talk to people who are doing time for their friends. While their friends are still on the street corner, they're doing the time. And their friends aren't putting a dime in their account. They don't put no money on the phone. They don't come to visit. Come on, my friend. What are you talking about? They don't take care of the woman's child. They don't take care of grandma with groceries. And they say, oh, he's my friend. So what did mama do? Mama returns and tries to find out who the kid's friends are. It's returning to the tomb. Do you know where my son is? I don't know. Do you, do you know what, what happened to him? I don't know. I don't know. He didn't say where he was going. Oh, you have no idea. Small talk. Small talk. Nothing meaningful. Nothing of substance. Nothing that you can go on with a lead to find out what's going on with my child. You hang with him sometimes. No commitment. Not wanting to give anything to a mama whose heart is full of dread and terror and anxiety and panic. They just look at you like a head of cabbage in Wegman's Produce Center. They just look at you. I don't know. I don't know. It's almost like an effort for young people today to talk, to speak, to communicate. And then we wonder why teen suicide is on the increase. And we worry why drug addiction among young people is on the increase and escalating every day. They returned. Tried to tell the others. We got it. We understand. He's risen. He's not there. <laughs> and it was Mary Magdalene, verse 12, 10, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Listen to this. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Is it any different when a mama tries to communicate to a child her concern, and it falls on deaf ears, and it's equal to idle tales, 
and they believe not the heart of their mother. You don't know what you're talking about. Come on. You have no clue. You don't need to be telling me. Oh. Maybe the jailer will tell you when it's time to eat. Maybe the jailer will tell you when it's time to come out for an hour out of your cell. Maybe the jailer will tell you what prison you're going to. Because you wouldn't get away from the tomb of death and the cave of friends that you hung with. And you thought they were your heroes. You thought they were your, oh, role models. You thought they were cool. Cool dudes. Walking around school like they're somebody. And they're dead on the inside. Because they're living in the tomb themselves. When you put product into your body, that's not legal. When you abuse product that you're not supposed to abuse, that tells me right there, you're symptomatic. Drug addiction is symptomatic of a deeper cause of something that's causing you to want to check out. And if you don't deal with what's under the iceberg, that iceberg, one of these days, the Titanic will hit it, and you're the Titanic. And it will put a gash in the belly of your boat. And you won't have time to rearrange the deck chairs on your Titanic. Because it goes down fast. I'm telling you as a pastor this morning, this is a serious time. Come on. Let me try to wrap this up. You see, some of us used to live in the tomb. Come on. I said some of us used to live in the cave. It was dark. We were in despair. Disappointed in life. Disappointed in ourselves. Depressed. Depraved, going nowhere. But somehow, the Holy Spirit came to us one day and said, There's a way out of the tomb, son. There's a way out of the tomb, daughter. There's a way out. There's life beyond the tomb. I can roll the stone away and the obstacles that are in your life, and I can give you life, and I can give you resurrection power, and I can forgive you of your sins, and I can write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yippies, yuppies in my day. We got the message. Put a pair of shoes on. Woodstock's over. Cut your hair. Go back to school. Take a shower. Put on a suit. Get an education. Make some money and make something of yourself. My God, we got the memo. My God, we got the text message. My God, we got the email. Hallelujah. And some of us found Jesus and we became Jesus freaks and Jesus people and Jesus children. We found out that all that stuff 
Love children. All that nonsense. We're going to redo the world. <laughs> we were so idealistic, thinking that we can change the entire world until we saw our heroes, Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, slain in front of our eyes and took away our hope and our help that we thought Camelot was coming to our country. But we found out there was something greater than Camelot. I said we found out there was something greater than Camelot. We found out that there was a paradise that we could go to one day. We found out that there was a savior that's going to remake this world one of these days. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We found out that there's going to be change. We found out, praise God, that God's going to put a white robe on us and a ring on our finger and shoes on our feet. And we're going to come back on white horses. Hallelujah. Praise God. And he's going to be the leader because he's true and faithful. We found that out. And we returned to our families. And what did some of them do? They said, you're in a cult. You're crazy. They divorced us. Some of our own parents, for a season, divorced us. Because we were no longer walking into their home with a scotch and soda and a gin and tonic or a rum and coke and a cigar in our mouth. But we were coming in with a Bible. And our family started talking about us. They had meetings about some of us. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. They said, what happened to them? What's going on? And when Pop offered you a drink and you said, no, thank you, Pop. He kind of looked at you. And then the next night he said, son, how about a drink? Because that's what me and Pop used to do every night. And on the third night he said, how about a drink, son? I said, no, Pop. And he said to me, there's plenty of soda downstairs in the basement, son. You see, my same dad said, how about a cigar? My dad used to smoke those expensive cigars in the glass tube. How about a cigar, son? No, no thank you tonight, Pop. And after two or three times of asking me if I wanted a cigar from the glass tube, my dad didn't offer me a cigar anymore. Oh, he fought with me. He debated with me. He argued with me. But the last year of his life, my dad accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. You can ask my wife. I never saw my dad as he was that last year for my whole life. I saw a change. Yes, sir. I saw a man that said, I'm waiting for the Lord to come, son. I saw a man that loved God. I saw a man that fought with alcoholism in my family. My nephew died in 1988 from alcohol addiction, killed himself. I saw a man that no longer lived in a tomb. I saw a man that came out because God rolled a stone away from his life. Yes, sir. You hear? Sometimes we return to people and tell them about our conversion and changed life and they pass it off as idle tales and fables. And the word idle tales means nonsense in Greek. 
You see, they look at us and they say, it's just a bunch of nonsense, it'll pass. But let me tell you something, I'm 70 years old, and for the last 45 years of my life, it hasn't passed. Come on. I said it hasn't passed. Because 45 years ago from the sky, Jesus said, I want to be your friend. And he's been that friend to me for 45 years. And that's what I try to introduce people to, my best friend, Jesus Christ. They believe not. And some of our sons and some of our daughters, they believe not. And they're not interested in further discussion. But I'm praying. And Mama's praying. And Sister Peggy is praying. And I tell you what, when Sister Peggy prays, you better get in an armored truck. Because the spiritual arrows are coming towards you. Closing. Verse 12. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was to come to pass. When mama can't find you, mama gets daddy. And they return to your room for clues. I said they return to your room for clues. Because you're not being found. Because you haven't come home yet. You haven't come home either physically or spiritually. And they see what you left behind. Listen to me. You see, Jesus left something behind. He left behind the mummy clothes. He left behind the linen clothes. They were rolled up in the tomb. And Peter saw the clothes that the women saw. And the question this morning is, what are you going to leave behind? Are you going to leave behind a drug needle? Are you going to leave behind heroin? Are you going to leave behind an epitaph in the cemetery that says, great potential lies here, but he never lived up to it? What are you going to leave behind? A cloak? A garment? A 401k? An IRA? A watch? A trophy? <laughs> what are you going to leave behind? An empty bed? That your mama's going to go into your room one day and say, he used to live here. He used to sleep here. He used to eat here. But all I have left behind is his clothes and a picture on his nightstand. Is that way, is that the way life should end for a mother? People will wonder what happened to you. And you also will wonder sometimes as to what God is doing in your life. Much is at stake. Because here we're talking about eternity. Some people say, this is hell on earth. They don't know the word of God. Because here's my simple definition of hell. Everyone that's born into life has a desire to love and to be loved. You listen. This is simple. I'm closing. Hell eternally is this. Eternal separation from the love of God with no second chance. Come on. The thing that we crave and desire the most when we're born and we grow up is love. Everyone is looking for love. No one is looking for hate or pain or bitterness 
We all want to be accepted and we all want to be loved. Hell is eternal separation from God's love forever. Never getting out of the pit. Never quenching the fire. Where the worm dieth not. Where there's screams and yells forever and ever. Is it worth it to run with this world? Is it worth it to stick a needle in your arm? Is it worth it to smoke dope and do stupid stuff that you think you're fooling? Mama. But let me tell you something. Mamas have that built-in intuition. They know that they know that they know. But beyond mama is the Holy Spirit. Amen. That has been unleashed on the lives of young people to reveal Jesus Christ to them. Your privilege this morning, not because I'm a preacher, and not because I've spoken this message. Your privilege because God's heart came through my lips this morning Amen. to tell you the truth about life. Come on. Only you can pull yourself out of the tomb by a decision and by a choice that you say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. And when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you'll do something about your situation. God bless you.